This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley and I'm still in the race. Uh, Coming up on today's episode, Spin When You're Winning, we speak to former advisors to the front runners in the leadership race, former advisors to Vichy Sunak, Liz Truss and Penny Morton to find out what they're really like and are they up to the job of being Prime Minister. We'll also hear from Philip Webster and Eleanor Goodman, our armchair generals at CCHQ, Chorley Campaign Headquarters. First up, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel and on a Thursday, it's The Columnists with Knight at the Marriott, India Knight and James Marriott on Times Radio. Oh, it's been a long week since we were last here. Uh, James Marriott in the studio. Morning, James. Good morning. Uh, India Knight is beaming in from outer space. Hello, India. <laughs> Good morning. This time last week, we were we were poised for the Prime Minister's resignation. Are you what, been, a what a week. What so a week. So much has happened. Yeah, what a week. What a week. It's a bit calmer today. It feels a bit calmer. James, we're not going to come to you for live reactive political, <laughs> political yeah, it does, it does, it does, it does, it does, it does, it does feel a bit calmer. Um, I guess the kind of the leadership race is beginning to kind of it's beginning to kind of shake itself out a bit now, and we've got a bit more of a sense among the kind of total melee of candidates who emerged, who were emerging this time last week. I think you know we're able to kind of you know suddenly look at everyone and see 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 what see what the lay of the land is. And what is your assessment of the lay of the land, James? Who not not being a political animal, who do you think is is doing well, who's doing badly, who's failed to make any impression on you at all? Well, um, Penny Mordaunt, who I have to confess that I'd probably, you know, what, a month ago, had probably barely heard of, is obviously has obviously come absolutely, you know, for me, and I suspect probably for a lot of other people, out of out of nowhere. And, I mean, it seems like it's, it's, it's hers to lose now. I, sus- I suspect, you know, Rishi Sunak's uh, team is just hoping that perhaps she will implode under scrutiny. And the kind of questions that seem to be swirling around her now are obviously the stuff about competence. Uh, is she a real proper grown-up um, that we need, you know, as we kind of entering this incredibly turbulent uh, economic period? And I suspect if she manages to survive that scrutiny and stuff is, you know, as we see, as we saw the, um, Lord Frost's interview this morning, stuff is being thrown at her now. If she can survive that, then I suspect it's hers to lose. Yeah, so in that, there was a YouGov poll, just as we came off air yesterday, YouGov put out a poll of Conservative Party members, asked who do you most want to replace Boris Johnson? 27% said Penny Mordaunt, 15 Kemi Badenoch, 13 for Liz, both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, Tom Tugendhat on 8, Suella Braverman on 5, Jeremy Hunt on 4, and Nadim Zahawi on 1. That's Nadim Zahawi, who founded YouGov. <laughs> 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 but more telling, actually, was the in the head-to-heads 
uh, Penny Morden wins every single one. So Penny Morden uh, versus Rishi Sunak wins by 67 to 28%. Against Liz Truss, 55 to 37%. Against uh, Kemi Badenoch, 59 to 30%. Um, can you explain or, or do you understand the sudden appeal of Penny Morden in India? It's all very strange, isn't it? I'm fascinated by the relative slide of Liz Truss, who we've been told for months and months and months and months was the uh, Conservative member's numero uno all-time favourite. And she's just kind of split away, which is really strange. I don't quite understand what happened. I, I understand the appeal of Penny Mordaunt. Um, you know, the uh, the Tory membership is always looking for another Mrs. Thatcher. And despite Liz Truss's best efforts at, you know, wearing Thatcher-like costumes, um, the kind of, it, it, none of it sort of quite washed. Um, but I do think it's extraordinary because she does seem to have come out of nowhere suddenly and kind of conquered everything before her. I think she um, seems likeable. I think she's reasonably fluent. Um, Rishi Sunak on the radio this morning sounded kind of flustered and defensive and kind of slightly on the back foot, um, which wasn't particularly impressive. Uh, I think she seems a kind of agreeable person. Whether that's enough or not, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing is really weird. You know, the idea that ultimately the next prime minister of this country is decided by... I think it's about 100,000, isn't it, members, um, Conservative Party members, is really strange, um, that those members are far to the right of quite a lot of Tory MPs is really strange. Um, and so bending your character and your policies to appeal to those 100,000 elderly Conservative uh, uh, voters it's also really strange because there doesn't seem to be an enormous overlap with the rest of the population <laughs> who I always think, you know, whether on the right or on the left, are broadly in the centre. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting and also weird. And I think she will win. You think Penny Morgan? I mean, it's interesting the, the um you make that point about uh, Tory party m uh, members, Tory MPs. Um, there's been some chat and, you know, even some MPs have privately sort of said this, that actually in government, at least... You'd think that Conservative MPs were best placed to choose who should lead them, mm. partly because the per that person's got to command the confidence of those people. Mm. Um, and uh, and you're right that the, the the idea of Conservative Party members who don't who basically end up voting for whoever they agree with, rather than the person who might be the best Prime Minister or yeah. up to the job or um, uh, or able to necessarily even win an election. That one thing that might focus MPs' minds is, um, you know self-preservation and the fact that you know who might who might do it for them it's interesting though well james the fact that penny more than normally you'd think the people with the most experience would be at the forefront you know gordon brown uh you know particularly taking over in government you know john major was the chancellor gordon brown had been the chancellor uh theresa may had been home secretary boris johnson had been foreign secretary been around for a long time actually being having been in this government is now seen as such a negative that having not been in Boris Johnson's cabinet is, uh, and nobody knowing who you are or whether or not you're any good, it's almost like we know that the others are no yeah. good. We just, mm. we don't know. We, we know <laughs> for a fact the others will probably be rubbish. The best thing that's going for P P Penny Morden is she might not be rubbish. Well, she's kind of in that sweet spot, isn't she? She's got just enough experience that, you know, you think you might be, she's not a total nobody. You know, she has got kind of ministerial experience, but she's not tainted with having been in Boris Johnson's cabinet. 
Yeah, it's just sort of, it's extraordinary. It's a little bit, I keep thinking it's a little bit like watching an election in a foreign country or one that's sort of a kind of slightly <laughs> alternative reality Britain that's maybe 50 years ago. And yeah. the electorate obviously is slightly different because they're all more right wing. They all know who all these people are much more intimately than the general public. So, you know, we evidently, you know, a lot of people don't have a clue who Penny Mordaunt is. But in this weird electorate, they know who she is. They love her. Um, and they're going for this aesthetic, which, you know, from her kind of campaign video is like, you know, kind of people saying kind of Little Britain parody or something or something from like 50 years ago. And it's this sort of slightly removed electorate in several ways. It's a bit back in time. They're much more familiar with all the candidates. It's fascinating to watch. It's a completely, I mean, slightly terrifying, but it's such an interesting, <laughs> odd process. It's back to the future, isn't it? It's really strange. There's nothing kind of modern or kind of forward thinking or exciting or... or I mean, it's all nostalgia and warm beer. And, and it's so, it's and so odd it's... because successful people, uh, uh, successful leaders are the one, you know, Tony Blair put the, literally put the word new in his party. David yeah, Cameron yeah. focused so much on modernisation and changing the logo and well, talking about modern I, Britain. I was thinking earlier today, you know, it makes you miss David Cameron. There's a funny <laughs> sentence, you know, but at least he had a plan and he had an idea and he wanted to revitalise and move forward. This is all about kind of sitting, you know, yearning for the past in your rocking chair. It's really odd. But and she's got this strange thing about um, paying women to be wives and mothers, which, um, I know, yeah. Yeah, we, we talked a bit Quite about strange. that. Someone's just texting, surely suggesting more than is rubbish is poor. I don't think I did. I didn't. You, did you say said, that? No, I said we didn't know if she'd be rubbish. <laughs> the unknown. She might be great. She might be great. That was the that was the same point. Somebody else says, "Is this the same Paddy Morton was in Splash with Tom Daly and used bets to by inserting who who and used to win bets by inserting record numbers of rude words into her speeches? All that's a bit weird." Yeah, she went. Also, went on Splash. Yeah, it doesn't scream yeah. super serious person. Does no, it? she did, she did a she she made a speech in the House of Commons where she used as many rude words as she could by smuggling them into. For some sort of navel, yeah, it doesn't fill them with like, overwhelming yeah. confidence. So, even all that's a bit—it's a bit sort of carry-on film for now. It's not, just, you know? oh, yeah, it's the alternative country. I don't understand it. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know. You wouldn't catch us doing silly innuendos. <laughs> uh, cheap laughs. Certainly uh, not. James, let's talk about your your column. In, I wonder if there's an overlap here with uh, with politics. Um, you're, it's in praise of offices, not because of the creative dynamism or whatever it might be, the, the argument of going back to the office, but for wheedling out narcissists. Yeah, my bit, my thesis is that offices, obviously, there's a lot wrong with them, but I think being in an office every day, every week, kind of forces you to have or requires a certain level of social competence. You know, if you want to get along in an office, you just have to be reasonably friendly every day. You have to be relatively nice. And my thesis is this has always been a good thing for public life. And when our public life was basically run by people who, you know, had had to come through institutions, had worked in universities, um, had, you know, uh, been in newsrooms, had sort of had the edges knocked off them by having to be in an institutional environment where a basic level of social competence was required. I think this is a very good thing. And I was being a little bit sceptical and nervous about the new trend whereby people can become famous, for example, on social media, which requires basically the opposite there's fascinating studies that show social media basically enables horrible people it doesn't make us horrible is the kind of new um there's new research to show it just enables the most horrible people and i think being forced to be in person around other people is a very good thing and it's a good way of kind of weeding out dangerous chaotic narcissists from public life <laughs> but it also just sort of not just the sort of socialization of uh, he just sort of knocks the edges off people being a bit of a knob. 
Yes. Um, because you get ostracized in an office or, you know, you have to, you know. Yeah, you're, there's off, you know, office gossip, you know, you've got HR managers, you want to sit next to someone in the canteen at work, you're with the person sitting by themselves, and there's just yeah. so many little incentives to be nice if you're in person around other people. And I think that's such a good filter or used to be such a good filter in public life. And I'm just so skeptical of people who, you know, when you acquire your fame or your influence via social media and you have none of those social incentives, and, and actually, people who work from home all the time can be a bit odd. You well, know, sort take of me. Lit, take me. In their own... And me. Hello. I've... No, no. <laughs> We're completely bananas, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> now, the most interesting thing, I said, you said you resisted the office choir. Have we got an office choir? No, but I, I have been in an office that um, there was an office choir, which was in my days working in bookshops. Uh, um, it was all very, it was all very, it was all very quaint, but I did not, I did not join it. You didn't join um, it. Can you sing? No, uh, no, well, not not that anyone would want me to. No. From your um, speaking voice, you sound like you could sing. I was going to say that. I, I think, know. I no, think, I'm very yeah. tuneless. Can you? Can you? No, can you I can't. I'm a terrible singer. India, can you sing? I can't. Tell. No, I'm a terrible singer, but I love to sing and yeah. just break people's ears. Well, maybe yeah, yeah. we should have an office. Maybe we should maybe have an office choir. We should have a choir. We can get Pat. We discovered yesterday, and the biggest revelation yesterday: Patrick Maguire used to play the double bass. I sort, of cool. yeah. I sort of see that. I sort of see that. I can see instrument well. for him. Yeah, somebody, somebody got. We were um, streaming PMQs on YouTube, and somebody got in touch and said they used to be in the what it was the the youth youth orchestra with Patrick McGuire. Bring that back. And then Patrick's mother, I'm not sure if it's because his playing was so bad, uh, donated his double bass to a refugee charity in Greece. How disappointing. Well, maybe could me and India <laughs> sing? Sorry, our... sorry, we have no food or tent for you. But uh, here's Patrick McGuire's <laughs> double bass. Did you sign it? <laughs> Anyway, um, um, uh, India, where do you stand on offices and uh, have, as, as a strange person who works from home? Um, yes, I started working from home when my children were teeny. I could uh, maybe apply for a special grant from Penny Mordant. Um, uh, so I haven't worked in an office for a very long time, but I completely, I mean, James is completely right. I mean, the thing about working in an office, and I did work in many offices for many, many years, is that, you know, you have to sit opposite somebody who holds different views to yours or who's you know who's who's on a different political side or who or who is weird or who is nice or who is whatever you have to kind of and so you don't what happens is the opposite of what happens when you live in your little online bubble of only ever addressing and being addressed by identically like-minded people and feeling that you're somehow representative of the world at large you know and you're really really not it's a very kind of dangerous spot to occupy that I think as you become kind of delusional so rubbing along with as many I mean it's a bit like sending children to playgroup isn't it rubbing Rubbing along with as many different sorts of people as possible can only be a really good thing. And narrowing your world to fit your worldview is bad and stupid. Yeah, no, I think that's it's a good. It's a good. Uh, I think it's just a good test of people. Can you mm. can you cope with a mix of ages and backgrounds and mm. working stuff? Yeah, really important. Really important. Really important. Yeah. He also explains why James. Do you, do you work from home all the time, then, James? Uh, a few days a week. It you depends. Come, you come, you come I, can't, I come in. I never, never miss my Thursdays with Matt. There we are. It's that, if anything's going to tempt me into the office, it's that. We've never yet tempted India in, have we? No, I'm sure. No, we but, can. but do you know what? I'm in London in a couple of weeks, and I think I'm in London overnight on Wednesday, so I might come in. <gasps> I bet it's when oh, I'm that's off. Really excited. I bet it's when I'm off. No. Oh, we'll try and sort that. When out. are you off? End of I'm next, off as well. Actually. End of I'm next week. I'm off for two weeks. Oh, me too. Oh, great. So, we, so we're all on the same page, yeah. Good, good. So James, sorry, James, James, myself. James can hold the fork. All no, by yourself. What a terrifying thought for Patrick the listeners and for the, everyone. Patrick McGuire's in the hot seat for two weeks. Ah, oh, lovely Patrick. Yeah. Oh, that'll be, that'll just, tend, just, Patrick can tempt me in. Just, just, uh, just playing the, just noodling the double bass. <laughs> I'll, I'll sing along. <laughs>
Indian Night and James Barrett there. Of course, you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to times.co.uk forward slash times box. Up next, we're heading off to CCHQ. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. CCHQ, Chorley Campaign Headquarters. Yeah, we're back at CCHQ this morning. Chorley Campaign Headquarters taking you through the race to replace Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. We'll speak to our armchair generals a bit later on. Philip Webster and Eleanor Goodman uh, will take us through uh, how they think the race is unfolding. We'll also remind them of their predictions from the beginning of the week to see how they're getting on. But first, spin when you're winning. The people who often know these politicians best are the advisors who spend all their time with them. Uh, they often know them better than their own uh, families. who have been alongside them through the highs and the lows, the good times and the bad times, and the, the times they'd probably rather forget. So what we thought we'd do is bring together some people, political advisors, who've worked very closely with the front runners to become... Uh, Prime Minister. Kurti Buchanan uh, now works at Stowhaven PR. She is a former special advisor to Liz Truss. Morning. Good morning to you. Where, remind me of the departments. You, was it Justice you were with her? It was Ministry of Justice, 10 months where anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong at Ministry of Justice. It was it was quite a time. We'll we'll focus in a moment on how much of that was her fault. Uh, Peter Cardwell literally wrote the book on spads. It's called The Secret Life of Spads. Spoke for several cabinet ministers, including the late James Brokenshire, Cameron Bradley and Amber Rudd, but crucially worked with Rishi Sunak when he was a junior minister of the housing department. Morning, Peter. Hello there. Yeah, he was the local government minister, actually, and I had an interesting conversation at a Conservative Party conference last year when someone said, oh, you weren't saying Rishi Sunak was going to be the next Prime Minister when he was uh, Chief Secretary of the Treasury, to which I answered, no, I wasn't. I was saying he would be Prime Minister after Boris Johnson when he was local government minister. Wow. You, you made that prediction. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, talk about that in just a moment. And then Katie Perrier, uh, Chief Executive of In-House Communications, former Director of Communications, Theresa May, and because Penny Morden hasn't uh, been around uh, very much, we've managed to find that Katie worked with Penny Morden at CCHQ on William Hague's campaign. Morning, Katie. Good morning, Matt. Um, uh, your memories of a young Penny Morden? 
Um, my memories of a young Penny Mordaunt. Um, she was someone who I learned so much from. Um, I was a whippersnapper kind of junior at Tory HQ and uh, was very much uh, learning the trade. And so she was my boss, basically. Uh, and she showed me the ropes. Um, and uh, I've got a lot to be grateful for, really. What do you do today which you learned from Penny Mordaunt? Oh, to keep my cool, you know, when everyone around you is flapping, when everybody doesn't know what to do, just keep your cool, think for a minute uh, and try and make some wise choices. She really doesn't flap. I've never seen her get in a pickle. I remember once we were on a tour bus uh, full of journos, just like you, Matt. Uh, everyone had given us loads of grief because it was very hot. There was no food. I think we were going on a plane and the, the ovens are broken, whatever it might be. And quick as you like, you know, Penny had organised food, refreshments, everything you need from the next stop. And uh, nobody moaned, nobody kicked off and it all went smoothly. So she's she doesn't panic and she taught me that. That's interesting. And then you presumably you've followed her career uh, ever since closely. Have you been surprised by the fact that basically in the last 48 hours, she's leapfrogged everyone to be the favourite? No, because she's quite... Um, you know, dedicated to the gig, basically. You know, um, I'm not saying that I'm a terrible influence, but occasionally I try to drag her off to karaoke or a late night party and Penny would say, no, I've still got to go through the box. I've still got the work to do. And, you know, considering our current prime minister and the fact that that doesn't really apply to him, I do think that um, she is a, a change and kind of breath of fresh air on that front. She really was dedicated to every brief she threw herself into. She was uh, in charge of disabilities at DWP. And I saw her really take it, you know, the, the whole um, workload very seriously. And so uh, I'm not surprised really at all because she's really put her dedication to the Conservative Party, you know, at the forefront for like the past two decades, really. So and how long do you think she's been plotting this this bid for the top job? Well, she wrote a book called Greater, which basically is a bit of a mini manifesto as to what she might do if she were to go ever govern the country. And that gives us an indication of a, um, you know, she always had ideas wider than whatever brief she was working on at the time. She's been involved in armed forces, uh, as I say, before disabilities. So the book is a really good indication of that. So I would say that probably quite a while. Probably why she turned down my karaoke invites, to be honest. <laughs> right, let's talk about uh, Liz Truss, who's, who's uh, launched this morning, uh, Kirsty. Um, are you surprised that she's in this race, that she's running for the job and actually still, you know, has got support? Uh, no, I'm not surprised. I mean, she's always um, uh, always been sort of tipped. I remember like 10 years ago she was being tipped as a potential leader and I don't think she's ever been particularly shy of, of outlining her ambitions for the top job. So, Is it something she would talk about when she was at the Ministry of Justice? No, we are too busy dealing with today's crisis to talk <laughs> about the future. And was she any good as Justice Secretary? I mean, it's a big, it's a big, like you said, it was beset by lots of issues. Yeah, I mean, the thing that everybody thinks they know about Liz, what everybody does know about Liz, is that, like, nine years ago, she delivered an epically bad speech for all ages. I mean, I kind of like, look, it's nine years ago, get over it, people. Um, this is the cheese speech. The cheese speech. Yeah. I, mean, Which, I, mean, I mean, there were loads of messages coming in right now about I can't move beyond Liz Truss and the cheese speech. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be nine years ago, but, but people, that is still the thing that you're known for. Well, look, if people can't get over it, they can't get over it. Yeah. But, I mean... Uh, what I did when I... So she's not, I think it's fair to say, the greatest communicator. Um, so the first thing I did when I was a spad for her was bring in a lot of political editors and home affairs editors to meet her on a one-to-one. -one. And on a one-to-one, -one, she's, you know, she's she's funny, she's bright. And they all came out, oh, she's much she's much brighter than I thought she was going to be, she's much funnier than I thought she was going to be. And actually, when we were there, you know, she delivered on getting 500 
million pounds out of Phil Hammond, which was no mean feat, I'm here to tell you, um, to, to deliver more officers to bring down yeah. a crime. So she has got a delivery record there. And, I mean, we, uh, Katie was talking about Penny being unflappable. You know, we had abscondies, we had prison escapes, we had a full-blown riot. Um, Liz is not a flapper. She doesn't panic in situations like that. Did you attempt, did you bring in people to try and help her with the public speaking, reading speeches, that sort of thing? Yeah, and it's interesting, actually. I've been watching her sort of develop over that. It's clear, particularly since he's been Foreign Secretary, that she's worked very hard on bringing her voice down. It pitches when she gets stressed, and she's obviously stressed with media, her voice pitches up and she's worked clearly worked quite hard on bringing it down. She has quite an idiosyncratic speech pattern too, but I mean, so did Tony Blair and that never did him any harm. So. It's interesting, there's like a sort of Thatcher thing, trying to come down an octave. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so. Peter, let's talk about Rishi Sunak. Why were you tipping him to be Prime Minister when he was a junior minister in the, the local government department? Because he's just someone who's really very impressive to work with. Um, when you go into a department, you get junior ministers, and sometimes they can be rivalries, sometimes they can be anno annoyed that they've been passed over to not be made Secretary of State, or, or whatever. And Rishi was just completely a team player. And actually, he was really interested in things that were important never, rather than things that were sort of visible. And local government is really unglamorous. You're dealing with a lot of people who have a lot of gripes. And there was a sort of universal love from him from, from, from a lot of uh, local government people. The one thing I always remember is that there was a, a, a policy on toilets, believe it or not, which are things called changing places, which are things for people who are severely disabled and they need a very large toilet to, to, to change in um, and, to, and to, um, to use. And Rishi did this video about changing places. First of all, he changed the policy to make sure that every supermarket, arena, kind of big venue had one as a matter of course. And then he did a little video with Arsenal at Arsenal Stadium there and talking to people there and so on. And um, I actually got mildly exasperated with it because he was so uh, sort of clear that it had to be absolutely perfect. And I sort of started dubbing it Ben-Hur because it went through so many different edits. But he was so absolutely determined that this video would be uh, perfect. And this, uh, this very unglamorous policy which helped a lot of people in, in great need would go through. And that, to me, was the mark of the man. So that actually, this this obsession with videos <laughs> goes back goes back a long time. It's not just because of Cass Horowitz, Horowitz, yeah, who's the sort of the social media the guy. guru, yeah. But this is this is he's he's his own director. Well, it, well, he is. It. I mean, Cass is obviously a very talented guy, and that video was, I am absolutely assured, put together in two days. It wasn't a sort of four uh, four four months or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's interesting because Cass Horowitz, obviously, his father is Anthony Horowitz, the um, yeah. author of Alex Rider and uh, and Foyle's War. So he's winning the media war for Rishi. Um, what have you? What have we made of the videos? Because obviously there was uh, Rishi's was very very slick. Yeah, but it, which I always think is a weird criticism. It, like, it is. It's it, it's good. Therefore, yeah. it's bad. Yeah. yeah. Why isn't this more rubbish? And then along comes Penny Mordens. I mean, Oscar Pistorius was. Katie, I mean, what did you make of uh, of Penny Mordens' collection of sort of spitfires and fry ups? I think she's probably badly served in terms of that that video. I do think that um, you know her military background is something that she does want to get across that dedication to the country. So I get it. I get why she did it. But I'm, I, I wasn't a massive lover of the film. I've got to say. <laughs> and Liz's Liz's film was was disappointingly fine, Kirsty. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a world where if this, this carries on for like another week, that, that Penny and Liz start out out Britain each other and they turn up on videos with bigger and bigger flags behind them and then Liz comes with a flag dress on and Penny yeah. wears a flag hat. I don't, you know, I mean, it was, um, it, it, it shows one thing very clearly though. The party hasn't moved so far away that it can't 
that 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 you can be a Remain supporter and it not be an issue. Yeah. Um, and whilst Liz is a born again Brexiteer, I think her her rivals would be quick to point out actually. In 2016, she campaigned to remain, whereas Gulf Penny and Rishi were both true believers, as they like to say. Well, something I can't remember. Somebody pointed out this week that uh, Rishi Sunak is every Remainer's favourite Brexiteer, and Liz Truss <laughs> is every Brexiteer's favourite Remainer. That's a very good point. And actually, this is weird. Yeah. It's this weird thing. Well, when it, well it's almost Team as if Liz had sort of tried to paint yeah, Rishi as being it's like a, not a, strong a enough on Brexit Remainer. or yeah. something. I mean, it's quite, kind of weird that, 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 yeah. that they've done that, but that's a very interesting observation. But it's the urban town split, isn't it? The, the criticism of Rishi, this kind of it's too slick. I how dare you be so professional. Um, is 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 actually a kind of uh, shorthand for, for for urban too urban too elite. But I think one of the things that we've one of the many things we've learned from Boris Johnson's premiership is that actually you need to govern for the whole country, and if you carry on just pandering to the red wall, you're going to lose seats in the south. So it's not just about towns versus urban. You need to appeal to the whole country, and if you you know frankly, if you want to have the best candidate to win the next election, it needs to have kind of whole country appeal. Do you agree with that, uh, Katie? Yeah, absolutely. I think the Conservatives are going to run out of time between now and the next election. So a lot of the things that we've talked about in the last few months, the privatisation of Channel 4, which no one stops you in the street and gives two hoots about, that stuff needs to get parked now. The Conservatives need to focus on what, what really does matter to people. The fact is, there's lots of people out there right now who are wondering how they can afford a school uniform for mm -hmm. their children to return to school in September. This is stuff that matters. The Conservative Party needs to forget the culture wars, forget you know the wedge issues, and just get stuck into the stuff that changes people's lives for the better, including what's in their pockets. It's been really striking, with all, actually, with all of the campaigns, that no one seems to be talking about anything that's actually happening in the real world. I suppose not, Why has none of them like said, I'd, I'd be chairing Cobra today on the weather and the fact the NHS is about to fall over? Or, or you know, really the cost... Of, nobody's offering any new thing on the cost of living crisis. Well, they've, talk, they've talked about taxation quite a lot, but that, I but suppose. That's, but that's, but, like, yeah. that's, that's a red meat Tory. Mm. Nobody's actually said what that is. I would put £500 in everyone's pocket yeah, in a real yeah, life. It's a fair point. It's a very... But it's also quite early in the uh, campaign as well, and they're only trying... Trying to appeal to MPs at the moment. I mean, it's interesting with the debates that are happening, Sky and and uh, and uh, Channel Four and so on. I mean, those are very entertaining for people like us, and I'll be watching, and I'm sure all three of us will, or all four of us will. But in terms of what they're actually for, I'm not sure because it's only MPs who have a vote at this stage, and then it's only Conservative Party members. So it's a weird sort of three stage thing where you're trying to convince your colleagues, then the party, and then sort of later on the country. So you can you can campaign in different ways. I think through those three stages. A really good point that Peter makes there. I remember on Boris's London Mayoral campaign, we had Chinese TV that wanted to interview him every five minutes. And Boris said to me, I don't understand why you won't let me do it. And it's like, because you're looking for votes from Londoners right now. <laughs> yeah. appeal to Beijing, right? That, you know, the candidates really do need to focus on the audience they need to win over. They can worry about, you know, the wider electorate or worry about where they're heading once they've got through this race. There's a brilliant uh, poll which has just dropped. The Ipsos Mori have done a... Uh, a poll uh, it's just dropped on the evening standard i think it is uh where they um asked how much do you know about all of the candidates uh was, it, was that 60% of people said they knew Rishi Sunak was uh and then they made up a candidate <laughs> called Stuart Francis and uh people claimed 12% of people told told Ipsos that they knew either a great deal or a fair amount <laughs> about Stuart Lewis a fake candidate created by the pollster. Brilliant. Stuart Lewis for PM, I say. Did he get a higher poll rating than Raymond Chish? Raymond Chish? Ooh, just, I'm just harsh, trying harsh. to scroll down. <laughs> harsh. Uh, 
Uh, right, so here we are. 60% said they knew a great deal or a fair amount about uh, Rishi Sunak. Uh, 40% said they knew about uh, Jeremy Hunt. 33%, only 33% knew a, a great deal about Liz Truss, which is amazing, I'm, given uh, how long she, she's been in the Cabinet mm. longer consistently than anyone else. Yeah, this is I am actually quite surprised by, uh, by... I mean, she's not shy on the media, is she? No. Um, or, uh, or, I'm, Instagram. I'm, <laughs> or Instagram. Or uh, Instagram. I'm, I'm quite surprised by that. But well, Hold on a minute, Matt. Matt, hold on a minute. Right. Oh. Rishi gave away billions of pounds in furlough money and only 60% of people know his name. Well, they said they knew a great, uh, fair, uh, a great deal or a fair amount about him. I suppose that's the... Somebody could have been around for a long time and people not know a huge amount, I suppose. about like, They don't feel they know... She's not done a lot of, like on the sofa of the one show talking about who takes the bins out type stuff. I, I imagine that's only a matter of time. Um, just to complete the set, so 40% knew uh, uh, Jeremy Hunt, uh, 33% Liz Truss, 28% Nadim Zahawi, 20% know about Penny Mordant, 15% Tom Tugendhat, and just 14% Kemi Badenoch and uh, Swell Parkman. They don't appear to have asked about Wayman Chistie. That's a shame. It's a shame. I missed a trick there. I imagine time. he might have polled worse than the, the fake. Stuart Francis. St Stuart Lewis. Stuart Lewis, Stuart sorry. Lewis, Stuart Lewis. We're all talking about Stuart Lewis. <laughs> um, uh, go on then. I suppose I should ask you all, do you think the person that you used to work with should be Prime Minister? Peter? I, I'm not endorsing any candidate, but I think there is a strong likelihood that Rishi will come through. I think Penny Morden's uh, campaign is going gonna, is gonna to implode. I just don't think it'll last. Katie? Uh, I'm not endorsing anyone either, but I do think that we are lucky to have this group of candidates. Um, Rishi, Rishi would be a good prime minister. Penny would be a good prime minister. You know, we've got a, a number of people that actually could do the job really well. Uh, and that's the main thing. Notice she didn't say that Liz could be a good prime minister. Oh, no, Liz as well. Liz as well. Oh, okay, I mean, <laughs> I, I just think that it's a good it's a good selection of candidates. There's, there's no one that I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they really need to be in, in that, that group or you know, this is a real worry uh, in terms of the top, top handful of people. So, um, you know, I, I do think that as we move, as the country moves on from Boris Johnson and what we're looking to what the public are looking for from their prime ministers, this is a good handful, good selection of people. Kirsty, Liz Truss, a PM. Hello, I'm going to duck this question too, but what I am going to say is people need to go back to first principles. The reason that we're in the pickle that we're in right now is because Boris Johnson became such a toxic brand that mm. began to corrode the Conservative Party brand and became a vote loser for the party. So in essence, what the membership or the MPs need to think about is less who is going to appeal to the Tory membership and who is most likely to take the challenge to Keir Starmer and win a historic fifth term. And that's what they should bear in mind. Yeah, yeah. At least Just is not the person to do that. I'm going to predict that the winner will be either someone from a Bain background or a woman. And that's all I'm going that's to predict. Another, that's another, that's another, another non-answer. Is this the sort of training you gave Liz Truss? Precisely. <laughs> it's not my first radio. Per old Tom Tugan. Is it right? Is it right that Liz Truss insists on not being called Liz Truss about the office? She's ma'am. Somebody's texted in that. Somebody else was on the other day saying she's always fired sexual. Did you call her Liz around the office? I, I called her Liz. There was there was um, a a certain Lord Chancellor who shall remain nameless who insisted on being called Lord Chancellor uh, to the extent that they referred to him as LC and new members of the staff in the private office of the Ministry of Justice wondered who LC was. LC? Kept, kept referring I to LC. It was like the tea lady. Yeah, we're going, to, going, into a meeting with, going into a meeting with LC. <laughs> yeah, so good to speak to the spin doctors, but always good as well to catch up with our armchair generals. It's Philip Webster, former political editor of The Times. Hi, Phil. Morning. And uh, former political editor of Channel 4 News, Eleanor Goodman. Hi, Eleanor. Hi. 
good to have you with us. Uh, particularly to catch up from where we were earlier in the week. You gave us your 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 scores on the door. Actually, you, I mean, you're not doing too bad, I have to say, because the, the uh, one, two, three, four, the, 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 almost all the ones you gave bad scores to are now out. Tom Tugendhat's clinging on. You both gave him four out of ten on his chances. Swallow Braverman, you both gave one out of ten. But so far, your favourites are, are still in there. How... How have you assessed how it's unfolded so far, Phil? Any surprises? Yeah, I mean, as you know, I, I did predict Penny Morden at the start, but um, I'm, I think her team were quite surprised by the, the level that she received yesterday. 67 was above their, their expectations. Um, and although she is now the bookmaker's favourite, uh, she still needs 50-odd uh, votes to be absolutely sure of getting into a runoff that we think she would win. I, there's generally a view around, certainly party members feel that if Penny Mordaunt reaches the last two, she will beat Sunak or Truss. Therefore, it's in Sunak's and Truss's interest to try and stop her getting to the, the last two. Um, you would think she would pick up quite a few votes from the Tugendhat uh, campaign when he pulls out and you would think she's pulled out she will have got some from the Jeremy Hunt it's a question whether she gets enough can she get another 50 odd votes um, and that's the big question um, I don't I think the Sunak team would have been disappointed with his showing yesterday they were hoping with a sort of runaway uh, figure and it just hasn't emerged and whether there will be a view that uh, if people are taking notice of this poll of membership, that Sunak can't win whoever's he's, whoever he's up against in the last round, I just wonder whether his support will stall a bit uh, as we go through the next couple of rounds. Uh, what did you think uh, so far, Eleanor? Oh, I suppose there's always a risk, isn't there, from Sunak's point of view, of being the, uh, being the front runner. Yeah, I mean, there always was that risk and he didn't do as well as his camp had hoped. And there is obviously a, a, a worry for him that he starts losing support to uh, to Penny Morden if she can establish herself as, an, as a winner. So whereas initially the, the, the campaign began as stop Rishi and stop, stop trust, so we're sort of two, two lines of attack. Uh, now it seems to be more uh, stop, stop Penny. They both, as Phil says, have an interest in, in doing that. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the figures, and I've got so many pages of figures, I can hardly <laughs> see the wood on my desk underneath of them all. You, you basically trust to, to hang on in there and get the momentum she so badly needs, needs to get at least two thirds, if not more, of Nazine's votes. Uh, and... At the same time, she's got to somehow erode the support for Penny Mordaunt. And how far does she go? How far do any of them go in really laying into her and trying to um, show her the degree of inexperience, the degree where she sometimes put her foot in it, those kind of things. And I think there is a serious sort of tactical problem for Liz Truss in that she has a reputation for being not particularly the kind of person you'd want as a friend or would expect as a friend, um, and that therefore she goes too hard 
into Penny Mordaunt, she could reinforce that impression of being just too abrasive. Now, David Frost has had a go this morning. He hasn't come out as a support, supporter of uh, Liz Truss, and he, for all we know, he may not be. But what he has said was pretty damaging if people listen to him. And there could be more of that to come. I mean, she could blow up at any point because she's inevitably going to be that every day she survives and appears to be doing better, the greater the scrutiny of her will become. It's interesting as well, Phil, that the, the, the timing on this is is so interesting that Liz Truss left it until this morning to launch um, when we've already had one round of voting in the next 30 seconds, the second round of voting is going to start, running mm. from uh, 11.30 to 1.30, was all expected at 3. And you sort of wonder, well, Liz Truss doing her, her leadership launch an hour and a half before the second round of voting, and actually probably not anything in it which is going to dramatically change the pitch. I wonder whether her, her decision to sort of f float above the fray, if you like, rather than getting stuck in, might end up costing her. Yes, very possibly. It does look a little bit like overconfidence. There was that rush of... Uh... Uh, Johnson supporters to her the other day, and they may well have got the idea inside the trust camp that uh, they were going to do better than they eventually did. I'm pretty sure she will pick up quite a lot of votes from uh, any right-wing candidates that are eliminated over the next uh, few hours and a couple of days. Um, her, her number will go up. Um, I don't think there'll be a huge change to uh, voting today because I imagine that Tom Tugendhat will um, will hang on in there and uh, his votes will be distributed at a later stage. I must say, I thought Mordaunt's main boost today was a at personal attack from Lord Frost. I don't think anything that Lord Frost says will necessarily go against Penny Mordaunt, although he was rather personal and said she wasn't really up to the job. But we'll see about that. Well, um, that sort of reinforced some of the rumours that have been put around about her. Now, they may or may not be true, but the idea that she wasn't the most active minister, I think yeah, that extent, that's, that's very much out there. Whether whether that worries Conservative Party members that much. It's quite obvious to me that the Conservative Party members do want uh, this terrible word, a reset, and they do want to get away from the rancour and bitterness uh, of the last few years. And that's why she is so attractive uh, to them. It's also, um, it's also, I suppose, in a way, it's paying her a compliment that they, they felt they, they have to turn their fire on it. And I don't know if... Uh, being accused of not being fully accountable or visible by David Frost, an unelected peer who quit yeah. to campaign against the Brexit deal that he negotiated is necessarily the uh, the damning It's not the kiss of death by any means. <laughs> all these things matter and so far as they're part of a whole and are all those conversations yeah. being had all the time and it plays into a narrative, arguably. I think one of the key things is going to be, and then maybe it's several runs down the, the line, but Kemi is going to be absolutely crucial, her endorsement to things. I mean, is Michael Gove going to, when she's, uh, assuming she is knocked out, does he go across? Where does he go? And can he take many of her supporters with him? I think that's going to be important. That's, Again, uh, yeah, he's regarded yeah. as eccentric. He hasn't got a huge, huge following, but I think it will be important where her, her lot go. As will Ben Wallace, I think. Uh, we we still not heard who no, Ben Wallace. No, we do. Was. We know. Oh, we do. Do we? Um, yes, and I'm going to. I know. I know he's on the list, but I've forgotten who he went for. He didn't <laughs> go for Jeremy, but he has declared. 
Oh, has he? Oh, I didn't spot that. I, uh, yeah. But you're right. That what, what what happens if, for instance, and this is me guessing, if Kemi Badenoch and her supporter, you know, if Kemi Badenoch joins, for instance, Rishi Sunak's campaign, and so does Tom Tugendhat, that suddenly creates a bit of excitement and momentum, which which he's been lacking. But were they to both go with Liz Truss or Penny, you know, then suddenly that... That does change the dynamics. We'll have to see what happens. Well, I think what, what's interesting, if you look at the figures also, if you don't just look them as left and right, but look at them as sort of um, clean and... Um, Dirty. How can one put it politely? Not used, but um, exposed. <laughs> Soiled? So, well, no, I was trying to avoid any <laughs> qualitative judgments, but basically the ones who have clean skins got nearly half the votes. And so it is important to Rishi that he gets some of those votes of people who are new and uh, some would argue exciting or more exciting. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.